This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Greg McMichael, it is my opinion that as we're sitting here taping this today, that this should be a national holiday. This is opening day at SunTrust Park as we're recording. Now, this isn't going to come out until a couple days afterward, but I would be remiss if if I didn't say that I think it's, it's to me as a baseball fan, it's always opening day has always felt like a holiday. Whether I was in school or I was at work, I just took that day off and I would watch baseball all day, uh, and that that holds true for both the first opening day and then whenever your team's opening day is. So it's this is our turn this year to. Uh, we opened on the road. Of course, we opened at home last year, so it's we we get we get two opening days. We get opening day here at SunTrust Park, and uh, it just I don't even it's it's so exciting to me. I just love coming to the ballpark. There's that feeling in the air. You're you know the everything's being hung up in the ballpark. Everything, all the little things are getting you know just ready, ready to go, ready for the show. And uh, I'm excited. How about you? It's been a great day just being here at the park, watching everybody get their stuff ready, um, whether it's the concessionaires and uh, the marketing group and and uh, community relations, all the different people are giving tours. We just, you know, this is the first day of tours. Mm-hmm. You know, we always have tours going on um, before the games. <clears throat> so that's great to see. And then we were fortunate to have one of our great uh, Braves Hall of Famers here, David Justice, with us. And uh, it's just all around great day. I do – like yourself, I do love opening day. I like the beginning of spring training, but then um, that that kind of wears on you pretty quickly. So the next best thing uh, is when opening day comes around and there's a crispness crispness in the in the air, and there's uh, a lot of a lot of excitement ahead of what's going to happen. And um, you know, and the park looks great, field looks nice and green, and um, so I'm I'm ready to go. And this is fun. And I'm excited that we're kicking off uh, the season here with with David, and we're now we're going to be going on next uh, every week. Yeah, I am too. Same here. And 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 to reset things a little bit, of course, this is behind the Braves, the official podcast, Atlanta Braves. You folks have subscribed. You already knew that, but you've been rating, reviewing, and subscribing, and continue to do that and tell your friends and all that good stuff so that you can catch uh, Greg McMichael, who uh, is the director of Braves Alumni Relations, and myself, Ricky Mass from MLB.com, interview folks. Uh, from from Braves country and this one, this one with David Justice for me was and I mentioned it in the interview. It was kind of a personal, just a big treat for me because when I was a little kid and watching the Atlanta Braves and just becoming a baseball fan through watching the Atlanta Braves, David Justice was my first. That was my first hero, was my first sports hero. You know, I think every most kids or most of us that are either play sports or invested in sports or just a sport, just a sports fan, you kind of have those formative sports fandom years of the, the poster on the wall. And for me, that was, you know, mine was David Justice. So 
to not only get to interview him uh, and get to know him a little bit, but just to see how cool and nice of a guy he is. Funny guy, witty guy, intelligent guy, very intelligent guy. Uh, it was quite a treat for me, and I, I could uh, I could tell you you might you and uh, you had to have enjoyed being uh, teammates <laughs> with him back in the day. Well, we were locker mates, so our oh, locker, were you? Yeah, our know, lockers okay. were right next to each other, so we had some. You know, kind of stories within the stories of things that are that happened, um, whether in the locker room or we, you know, we touched on a little bit about one of our uh, airplane episodes uh, during one of our trips. But yeah, David's a great guy, a lot of fun. As like you, you can you'll hear he's very positive. He's always been that way, and so I've got good memories and of being, you know. Of course, I was watching the Braves just like you were. But because in 91 and 92, that's when I became a Braves fan. Of course, I was playing for them in the minor leagues and obviously dreaming of one day being in the big leagues with the team, but watching them go from, you know, last to first, watching Sid slide, um, all those things. So I was a I was a huge fan myself, and then I just ended up happening to get to play on the team with those guys. But, uh, but yeah, I'm right there with you. I didn't have any posters on the wall well, other okay. than some of my Cowboys growing up. But uh, I had a couple Redskins on my wall. <laughs> I was, I was I'm, you know, Washington Redskins fan. But, yeah. Uh, we'll but, get into That's another whole yeah, podcast. That you and I that's fight true. over the Redskins yeah, and Cowboys. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we'll fight. Tell you what. You guys listen to David Justice, Braves Hall of Famer David Justice. And while you're doing that, Greg and I will fight about our football <laughs> fan. Here he is, David Justice. Pitch. A long drive to right. Ramirez turns to the track. She's gone. Day of justice. All is forgiven in Atlanta. Bob, it's okay to talk the talk if you can walk the walk. <laughs> All right, well, DJ, thanks for being on the show today. Hey, opening day, too. Oh, got to be good, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm have excited. Ever, have you ever been in the Alumni Lounge? Uh, I think you've walked me past here, uh, but I don't know if we've ever hung out in here. Yeah. No, we haven't. It's not, we haven't I don't been think hanging so. out. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, we haven't done that, but we've been doing our podcast here. It's been a great space for us. Ricky and I have had a good time and bringing people in, talk to them about the Braves. And um, so it's, it's great to have you back. I mean, we don't get to see you over on the left coast, so we don't get to see you very much. Yeah, and I'm always excited to come back to Atlanta. Uh, went out last night, had dinner with uh, Chipper Freeman. Uh, who else was there? TP. Uh, who else? I'm like, I look around the table. Limmer. It was great to see Otis. Limmer. Said you uh, Otis. Otis, Otis came, which I was very happy to see Otis. And uh, we had a great time, man. And uh, what was really special, too, is this, to see the people who uh, would come up to us last night, you know, thanking us, still thanking us for the 90s and uh, what we brought to the city. And uh, that's always special to, to be able to reminisce with the, the fans in Atlanta. Yeah, that's a fun group. Where'd you guys go? We went to Chops. Oh, nice. Which is a great restaurant. They hooked us up. They set it up. Uh, Nice table, nice service. The manager, everyone was great. It was a great experience. That had been a lot of laughing going on. At it was that hilarious. <laughs> oh my God! Just it's so funny just how guys remember different things. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have my set of memory mm -hmm. memories, and uh, everyone else does. But then, then there were things in which we all remembered. You know, you know, you don't remember Freeman. You know, Free might have been one of the the funniest teammates ever, and just. 
talking about the birth of Otis Nixon one time. He just did a, a <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's called a parody, but he, 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 we were in spring training one time, and, and he was talking about the birth of Otis Nixon. <laughs> and, I mean, the whole clubhouse was in tears. Uh, and he, he, it was brought up last night, and, God, it was as if he had told the story for the first time. And we were just laughing. There's a lot of laughter. But, but those guys are special to me, Mac. Just like you, you're special to me as well. well and, uh, you know, all those guys will always be special, a special part of my life. So getting the guys together was great. Well, isn't it amazing how when you have a team or teams like we had – you just everything's good, right? When you win, everything's yeah. good. I mean, I don't know. I'm, your other career, you. I mean, your career was in. You played in Oakland. You played in New York. You played in Cleveland. Those were all good teams. Yes. And you played in Atlanta. Those were all good teams. Yes. Maybe the '89 team wasn't that great. Yes. Um, but the other teams were all good. So, and I tell people this all the time. I don't. Rem I've never been on a team that lost 100 games. I've never been on a team that was just so bad that everybody I don't care how nice they were I didn't like being around them I mean it's yeah. just winning winning makes up for a lot yeah, of that stuff yeah yeah for sure I mean winning always brings the good vibes right and good vibes means the music is going to be playing in the clubhouse <laughs> and guys are going to be smiling and usually when you're winning that means guys are having good years so uh winning is absolutely uh I, I played on one last place team and that was 1990 my rookie year and I don't remember it being such a bad year, per se, in the clubhouse. I don't, even though we were getting smoked. Uh, I just remember in 1990 just looking at, just happy, being happy to be there. You know, Limmer's now in the big leagues, and Gand is in the big leagues, and, and these are guys that I played with in the minor leagues. And then I got Smoltzy over there, and there's Glav. So it was really cool, although we were getting beat uh, a lot, it was still kind of cool to be in the big leagues with the guys that I had played in the minor leagues with. And then, you know, to win rookie of the year, even though we were getting smoked, you know, to, to win rookie of the year on a last place team, you know, I don't know how often that happens. It could happen a lot. I don't know. But that was a special moment for me. But then after that, Mac, I was in the playoffs every year of my career going forward. So that was great. Like I would say, you can play in the big leagues or you can really play in the big leagues. If you play in the big leagues where you're playing in some of the biggest games of the 90s on some of the best teams in the 90s, you really feel like you're playing in the big leagues as opposed to obviously playing on teams that never go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Well, this is thank you for joining us, David. And this is a big treat for me personally because I, I don't think I've told you this, Greg, but um, you know my first athlete poster I had on my wall as a kid, this is true, was the David Justice poster. Nice. That, was, that was the first one I got as a kid. But I think – and that's what I wanted to ask you about in terms of I think there are a lot of people of my age, a little bit older, a little bit younger, who fell in love with just baseball in general through the Atlanta Braves, of those Atlanta Braves teams of the 90s and the fact that they were at that time. They were the only team, other than the Cubs maybe, that yeah. were on every night that you could watch every night. So there's this whole generation of baseball fans, not just here in Atlanta or in the southeast that are all over the country. I, I grew up in Virginia. I'm a Braves fan. I've got some of my closest friends are from New York. They're Braves fans. They're roughly my age. They watched you guys. Uh, in the 90s so when you you mentioned that 1990 team that was you said you were getting smoked or whatever but yeah. you go from that to 91 and you know worst of first how soon did I mean did you notice a, a turning point of of fans not only becoming the Braves aren't just a big phenomenon in the southeast or Atlanta this is becoming America's team like it did, was there a turning point and that's the same for you too Greg I mean because you were in the Braves in the, on, on those those teams I mean did you notice a turning point in that 
I think the turning point always comes when you look up in the stands and it's packed, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so now, you know, being retired and really looking back on the on those times, you know, I played in Fulton County Stadium when there were 3,000 fans, when I could literally have a conversation with the guy sitting behind me, you know, and we had Dave's Corner, which all those guys now are probably, they might be in their 40s now, but that was my crew. And they used to have the little banner out there, so I, I loved those guys. But I think the turning point came uh, when you felt like we were capturing a, a bigger audience is when we would go on the road. I mean, in Houston, you would think it was a home game. And the fact that we were on TV all the time, so you could see us every night. And we were a bunch of young players that played with a lot of enthusiasm, played hard because that's the way we were raised. Coming up in the Braves organization, you got Bobby Cox at the helm, who was a no-nonsense, serious manager that loved all of us, had all of our backs, and we all loved Bobby. You had Schroholtz that came in who brought a professionalism to the organization. So it was like the Braves were no longer the walking mat of the National League. People were starting to look at us like this was not only a team that was on the rise, but an organization that was bringing a professionalism that I thought people were starting to take note of. And another great thing about that, the, those teams was we had a bunch of guys you could root for. It wasn't like we were a two-man team or a one-man team. We had Avery, and we had Glavin, and we had Smoltz, and we had Merker. I'm giving it up to all of Pete Smith. I mean, we had Gant, Justice. We had – then Dion comes into the fold, see? And then we had Otison. We had – and then we get TP and Sid Breen. We get these veterans. And I just thought that as soon as – you could just see it coming. You could really see it coming. But really, you really saw it when you ran out on that field and you looked around and there wasn't a seat in the house. And when they started those tomahawks going, I mean, I get chills now. But back then, I couldn't wait. I, if you could, if they had film, I bet I was probably one of the first guys on the field at start of the game because I'm at the other end of the dugout and right field's right there. And I can't wait to take the field in front of those tomahawks chopping. <laughs> so I, that's, that's my perspective on it. Yeah, well, I think when you're on a really good team, the energy starts on the team. And then that becomes contagious to the fans. I don't think it starts in the stadium, and then and then you get excited. I think what you know what DJ is talking about with just the team already knew those pieces were together. They saw the talent, they saw the camaraderie, they saw the the energy and 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 how the team was performing. And then that just became contagious, and and then you know then the winds start to fall. So and to add to that, when we came to the big leagues, we thought we were going to win. That's the thing, because we were winning in the minor leagues. So I was used to actually winning with Lemke, with Gant, uh, with Blouser. Uh, I don't remember Smoke winning with Smoltz, because Smoltz wasn't in the minor leagues that long with us. But I remember winning in the minor leagues. So when we got to the big leagues, there was nothing in us that made us think that we just can't. In 1989, we won the Governor's Cup in, in Richmond. And as I'm jumping on the field – celebrating I'm bouncing around with Jim Beecham our manager at the time rest in peace coach and uh I said Skip we can do this in the big leagues as I'm bouncing with him <laughs> two years later we're in the World Series in 91 I said Skip remember I told you we can do it in the big leagues so when we came to the big leagues I think we thought 
that we were going to win. Why would we not? We, we've been winning. And like I said, that, that winning spirit was contagious within our, within our team. And as you saw, I mean, one year we flipped it around from worst to first, and here we go. Yeah, and that's, that's something I wanted to ask you about, too, because we just recently went through the rebuild uh, here, the likes of which we haven't seen since the, those late 80s Braves that then where you guys came up and turned everything around in 91. Do you see, and I don't know how much, you know, I don't know how much baseball you watch these days, how much Braves baseball you watch, but from what you have seen, do you see similarities between kind of the young core that came up and won the, the NL East last year and the, the young core that you guys had? Because they, same deal, they were used to winning in the minors, you know, whether it's at Rome or, or Mississippi or wherever. I mean, they're, they're, they're coming up with that same attitude, I would think. Yeah, and they're coming up together. And I got to believe, I don't know if the today's players are, are the same as us in the minors because not only did we, were we on the field together, but in the mornings on the road, we you know you come out of those hotels where you open the front door and you're on on you're outside, <laughs> right, right? right? And right. there's a Motel. Waffle, right, right, yeah. a Waffle House across the street yeah. or at Denny's. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of hanging together in the minor leagues, which I thought gave us just an extra connectivity in the big leagues early on because we really knew each other. Because what people don't understand in baseball is, in order for an outfielder to have a relationship with a middle reliever, one of you guys have to make that happen because we do nothing together, do we, Mac? We do nothing together. Pitchers do what they do. Outfitters do what they do. If I don't make a concerted effort to become a friend of yours or to be a, a, a really close teammate, it won't happen because we don't do anything together. So this young Braves team, they do have young talent. Acuna, just off the top of my head, Albies. Um, they have good veterans, too. Um, it's going to always come down to your pitching, though, because uh, I don't care how good your position players are. If you can't get anybody out on that other team or if you expect your offense to score eight, nine runs a game, you just won't win. It's too tough. Uh, and then there also has to be in your, in your clubhouse one person, two people, three people. You have to have three – you have to have guys – that have that winning mentality so ingrained in them that everyone around them on the team, they feel it, you see? Because not everybody on the team has that. You know, not everybody wants to be in the front as the vocal leader or as a guy who rallies the group. There are guys that just want to play baseball. They want to, they just want, they're going to come up and do their job, but they don't want to say nothing. And you need someone in a clubhouse, a couple guys, that are really good at rallying the troops, that, that know when to say what they need to say. And it's always better when it's a good player. So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But uh, I don't know because I'm not there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the Braves have that. They could have it. I, I know Donaldson, just watching him play in his career, has that kind of spirit within him that I see in him. Uh, Freddie's a very likable guy. Freddie's been here a long time. B-Mac is back now. Uh, he, to me, should be the grand poobah of this team in terms of getting these guys focused on a daily basis through the ups and downs. You know, I personally, if I was in the Braves organization, I would really be talking to Brian and Freddie and and really getting them to, to, to take hold of that, that, that vocal leadership role um, because as talented as, as Okuna is and Albies and maybe some of our younger guys – they also need to be taught to be leaders too. 
they need to they need to they need to be taught how to lead um and hopefully you know the veterans that that are on the team right now can do that because to me that's very important in building a winning a winning team and 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 a winning organization well hey let's talk about um what you're doing now all right i know you've got kids uh, yes. you've been married for how many how many years Nin- you been married 19 years 19 Dang, years that's like 100 nowadays shoot I, hey it's great i mean look you know it's great for that's me awesome. yeah, it's great for no, me no that's good that as my wife it's great hey, for me happy wife happy life hey, right that's what they say that's right yeah. well you got um so i have david yeah. junior who we call jr he's a redshirt freshman at san diego state he had 22 scholarship offers coming out of high school chose to football. stay home football he's a okay. football player uh, my youngest son is dionisio who we call dj and he's a sophomore in high school he is an He's another – he was good at everything, but he chose football as well. And he's uh, – you know, if he's healthy this year, I think he's going to make a make a hell of a statement in his junior year. Nice. He's killing it right now in 7-on-7. Seven seven. He plays for Premium of L.A. They've got a really good, talented team, and he's one of their, one of their best players. And they just played a tournament yesterday. He had about six or seven touchdowns on the day. And then our daughter, uh, Raquel, who's 14, she's an our little actress. She just finished up. Uh, she had a um, recurring role in Andy Mack, which was a big, is a big show. I think it's a Disney show. Uh, but that's her, her, her mission and her drive. And she's got all the personality. She's mm. cute as can be. And, and how old is she? 14. I saw a picture of you guys together at some premiere. I mean, yeah. Are you yeah. like beating, beating the. The boys off with a stick or what? Mac, you already know. Listen, <laughs> look, you already know. Look, look. There's no you guy, got her no in boy, no boy is welcome in you my house. You got her in Hollywood. No boy is welcome in my house <laughs> until she's forty. <laughs> I'm just telling. I'm just go. putting that out there right now. Any young guy listening to me right now, don't even call my daughter. Just leave her alone. <laughs> leave her alone. Uh, but uh, yeah, and it, it's great. Uh, I. I get an opportunity to, one, I coached my kids from age four all the way up through high school. So baseball, basketball, football, and soccer. So in San Diego, I have so many young kids that just know me as coach. Not as David Justice, the baseball player. They don't even know. They know Coach Dave played, but Coach Davis, that's coach. Like in whatever sport I was coaching, and you know I'm always telling them, like, Google coach, Google, just Google me, <laughs> just Google, just Google me, and it won't take long. You'll find me real quick. You know, they're like, I, does he really know what he's talking about? Yeah, no, no, but, but and so it's great because I feel like I have a lot of kids. I have three of my own, but I feel like I have a lot of kids. I mean, I look back on some of the most wonderful moments is being in the kitchen with my oldest son's friends who were athletes because, of course, athletes hang with athletes. So his his high school football buddies in my kitchen and me in there prophesizing. Like I always tell them, you, if you come into my house, you go, it's go, Reverend Justice will show up immediately because I just feel like that is my, that's my duty. Mm-hmm. And my role is to give as much knowledge as I can to, to young people so that they don't uh, – so, I, I mean, I think making mistakes is, is good, but I don't want you to make the kind of mistakes you can't come back from, right? So it's like I'm always trying to just give them uplift. 
because they all every, every kid wants to be a professional athlete, right? Sure. So I'm always telling them, yeah, that's great, that's great. Uh, but you know, the percentages are one percent. So we got to make sure that uh, you have something to fall back on. Because I always say this, Mac, Rick, I always say this. Let's realize the dream. You made it. But let's say you only make it for three years or four years and you didn't get the big contract. Okay. Now what? When you're 25 and done playing and you got another 50 years of life. So that is why it's so important for you to have other, because a lot of us are, are, have more than one talent, right? So let's, let's find all the talents that we have, as I'm, this is how I'm talking to the kids. Let's, let's, let's find all the talents that you have, and let, let, let's develop all of them, you see, so that when this talent is done, now we can move on to your next talent, and we can, you can continue on the life. Now, again, I can be here all day talking about this, but that is, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, it's, it, I've just ha- I'm, I just thank the Lord that I'm in a position that I'm in now where I'm healthy, uh, my kids are doing great. My my wife's family, because I'm an only child, my parents are gone. But, you know, everyone in our circle of family is doing great. So, And I know that's a blessing. And uh, so everything is great in my world. And uh, I thank the Lord for it. And uh, I know it's going to continue yeah. because he wouldn't bring me this far only to put something yeah. traumatic on me. So yeah. something that we because we've had we've had uh Glavin on, we've had Greg Maddox and, and Marquise. We talked about him and coaching kids. And something I was curious about with, with Tom and Greg, and I want to ask you the same thing. Wh- when you're coaching your own kids, because I know you're, you're coaching all, all these, these youngsters, but your own kids in particular, or do you, especially now that they're you know, going to college and stuff, do you, are you actively like saying, hey, like you're watching a practice or a film or something, you say, ah, you, you're reaching out to them saying you need to maybe look at this or doing this, or do you wait for them to come to you for advice? No, 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 I always go to them. Like even to this day, if I'm watching something on the NFL Network, let's say, and I'm watching, I see um, something that a, a top flight receiver does to get open, I will pause it and I will take my phone and I'll videotape it. And then I'll send it to both my sons, and I'll say, hey, look at what Odell Beckham did right here. Or look at what Antonio Brown did right here. Look how he got spacing. That's all. I'll do that. Oh, listen, I will – if you're watching – my kids know if you're watching a game with me, at any minute I will press pause on that game and use it as a teaching moment. That's guaranteed. They'll, they know it. Now, my kids get tired of it, but their friends never get tired of it. They never get tired of me talking to them. It's just my own kids because they've been hearing it. But I'm – because I know how tough sports is, I'm not really a, I'm not a demanding type of father on my kids. Like, how could you make that mistake? Never. I never. I've never been that way. I'm, I was. I've always been a very supportive uh, dad. So when they do something great, I make it greater. That's who you are. See, look at that catch you just made. You see, what I mean, that's unbelievable. No, I'm talking like that. When they make a mistake, I say, see. No matter how good you are, no matter how long you play this sport, you're going to have days in which you're going to have a drop or two. Even the best in the NFL drop balls, you just in high school. But that's why we work hard every day, you see, so that you don't drop that many. You see what I mean? So I never, ever allow them. I will not allow them to, to, to sit around in a negative state. I just, I just will not allow that. I, I'm going to be right there finding the positive in it to bring you out of it. Because there's so many talented kids out here physically. It's the mental game that's going to make you a professional athlete. And 
that is where I see my biggest strength with my kids and the kids that I've coached is building them from the shoulders up. Because if I can get them built strong there, the physical part is going to take care of itself. And you know as a pitcher the how confidence is, like I know as a hitter, the same physical body is on the mound for Greg. The same physical body is at the plate for me. But where we are mentally, it could be somewhere else. If Greg is not confident on that plate, on the mound, that sinker will not sink. He's not going to find that, that Greg. He's going to find the middle of the plate. You know why? Because that's where he don't want to be. And his mind is telling him, just like me, when I'm slumping, your 10-year-old nephew could get me out. <laughs> you see? But the same physical body is there. So – that is my biggest strength as I – when I talk to young – I still talk to young players now. Um, and I have some in the big leagues and I have some in the minor leagues that reach out to me. And, and like I tell them all, I know, reach out to me. I'm always here for you anytime. And I know you're going to reach out to me when you're struggling because that's when we all need help, right? Mm-hmm. But don't worry, and I will talk you through it. And I just had a, one of my, my guys in the minor leagues who's in – you know, and he was struggling in spring training. Called me on the phone. We talked through it. He went deep. Like I want to say his next game, but the game out there, he went deep. And he's already a great defensive player. Uh, but, again, that kind of stuff is what I live for, is when I can help them continue to get better and better and hopefully reach, reach their pinnacle. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting just being uh, – we're both the same age. We're both 52, right? You're 52? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I look 32, but <laughs> well, I understand. You got that good, you got that good skin color. <laughs> I don't know if good, that was good. But, uh, but I talk to guys all the time, former players, because my job, I'm the director of alumni relations, and I'm always talking about transitioning, how you transition from one career to the next. I'm on my third career. Um, and I, I feel like that it is so important to stay involved I think it's important to have the right mindset because you're right. You could be done at 25. You could be done at 32. You could be done at 37. Either way, you've still got a whole life or at least a half a life plus um, to do something, and you got to figure it out. And, and so the healthiest people that I know are the ones that have stayed involved that are doing things. So, um, so I have a couple questions for you. Just one, I know that you're highly intelligent. So, um, and I know that you you went to a little bit of college before you got drafted, but was it your parents that really pushed you? Were you valedictorian your high school? No, but I skipped seventh and eighth grade. Yeah, so that's I was what twelve I okay, my yeah. freshman year in high school. Yeah. I was fifteen my was senior. Was that because in high they school. didn't have any anybody well, could? <laughs> no, 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 no. It wasn't that. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Because if any of the kids I went to high school with are listening to me, they'll be like, "Oh, Dave, I'm way smarter." Than you. <laughs> And I went to school with some really smart guys, like you know, a couple of my best friends from high school. One's a dermatologist, one uh, another doctor. I mean, I went to school with some really successful guys. But um, so I always went to Catholic school my whole life. I'm an only child raised with just my mom, and my mom was big on education. And I remember my uncle was in college, and he was like my idol. So when my uncle was doing his homework, I would just sit on the floor as a little four or five-year-old, and I would just open up. Back in those days, you had an encyclopedia. I would open up the encyclopedia, and I would just start writing, just writing the words, just writing, just feel like I'm doing my homework too. Mm-hmm. My uncle doing his, I'm doing mine. But I was really young. But I think by me doing that, it built my vocabulary 
so that once I started going to school, I just, I don't know, I just, I was really good at math and I was good at, at English and, and spelling and all those, you know, the, the basics when you first go to school. So, and I went to Catholic school my whole life and I was part of this Big Brother, Little Brothers program because my mom wanted me, wanted to get me into that type of stuff. And the guy who was over me, he had a relationship with Covington Latin High School in uh, Covington, Kentucky. Now, mind you, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. And somehow, some way, I went to Covington Latin. My mom said, you're going to go here. They're going to get to the entrance exam, all that kind of stuff. But it shows you can do ninth grade work. Well, as a 12-year-old, instead of going to seventh grade, I'm going to ninth grade. But not only am I going into ninth grade as a 12-year-old, I'm leaving Cincinnati, Ohio. Now, here's my trek to school in the mornings. I got to walk a half a mile to the bus stop, the city bus stop, not no school bus stop. Hmm. Get on the bus with the world as a 12-year-old, go 30 minutes to downtown Cincinnati, get off, walk three blocks to Union Terminal, walk down to Union Terminal because that's where the buses from Kentucky come to Cincinnati. You get on that bus, and then I go across the river to high school, which is about three miles into Kentucky. And that's how I got to high school. And then 3 o'clock, I get back on the bus and come back the same way. Man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. And, and, you know, but, but. But as an athlete, how, I mean, did that affect you being 12 in ninth grade and trying well, to compete? N- no. No. I was leading scorer on our freshman team uh, at 12. Because, uh, you know, basketball was my, that was my number one sport. Uh, right. was basketball. You went to your college. You went to, on a scholarship. Yeah. Basketball, I didn't play right? high school baseball. I was a basketball player. Uh, when I was 15, I, I graduated high school as the all-time leading scorer of my high school. I was first-team All-Catholic All-American. I averaged 26 and a half points a game my senior in high school when I was 15 years old. But the only school that would give me a full ride was Thomas More College, an NAIA school. And I want, I'm going to – we can't afford to go to college, so I got to get a scholarship. So when they gave me a full ride, I said, I'm going to the NAIA school. I go to college. I redshirt my first year. I get my driver's license in July. I turned 16 in April, driver's license in July, uh, go to school in August. My uncle gave me my first car, a 1969 Pontiac Le Mans, nice. custom S, 350 engine, yellow with oh, a gold nice, top, nice, nice. green vinyl interior with a cut, some cut in the in the, the seat. I don't know where this cut <laughs> came from. You probably don't want to know. At AM, AM radio. But you couldn't tell me nothing. It was like I was driving a Bentley. I had a car, right? And uh, I go to college in August. I redshirt my first year. Come back the next year and first day of conditioning. They make us run three miles. I've I'd never run three miles in my life. That was the first time and the last time. Because when I finished in last place, I looked over the hill and the baseball team was practicing. And I said, you know, I did play baseball growing up. I played summer league my whole life. But baseball was my third sport. I was a basketball player, football, then baseball. So I said, if I play baseball, I can get out of running for basketball. <laughs> went home, got my spikes, my cleats, came back the next day, went to the baseball field. I still got a basketball scholarship, so I still got to play basketball. Okay. I still got to play basketball. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go play baseball. While they're doing this conditioning for running, <laughs> I'm going to be playing baseball, <laughs> fall baseball. That was my whole plan. Yeah. And, and just to get out of the, the running, just to get out of running, man. And it worked because I went and played baseball, 
And I was playing well, but again, my mind wasn't so much into baseball like that. And it wasn't until the very next year we're playing the Xavier University and their Division One. They got us on the schedule. And when I was in college, our team was one of the best teams that Thomas Moore had ever assembled to date to that time. And we go play Xavier, and we put a whooping on Xavier. My first at bat, I go deep out of right field over the sports complex. My third at bat, I think my third at bat, I come up. Uh, bases loaded. They bring a lefty in to face me. First pitch out of his hand, I take him deep over right, over right field over the co complex. And Hep Cronin, who was the Atlanta Braves scout, his son is Mick Cronin, the, the head coach of a uh, University of Cincinnati basketball team. Hep Cronin is a legend in Cincinnati, but – Hep said he was there at the game. He's looking at the Xavier players. He sees me. I'm 6'3", 195. I can throw. I can run. I just hit the equivalent about 1,000 feet. He's going, who the heck is this kid? Because I wasn't on the map. Mm -hmm. He said he called Paul Snyder and said, I think you need to get to Cincinnati. I think I found a needle in a haystack. Mm. So Paul Snyder comes to watch me play. And to make a long story longer, but no, I'll make it short. <laughs> I'll make it short. I'll just cut to the end. The Braves drafted me in the fourth round in the 85 draft, yep. And even when I got drafted, I still didn't believe I was really a baseball player. I remember going to the minor leagues going, man, I got a teammate from Pepperdine, UCLA, Texas. I'm from Thomas Moore. I said, I'm gonna probably be here for two years and then they gonna send me home. <laughs> they gonna realize, okay, he, he ain't got no, he can't play. And I always say, they never sent me home. And only two guys out of that draft that the Braves drafted, that, that whole draft, only two of us made it to the big leagues, me and Tommy Green, the first first rounder out of Whiteville, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. How about that? Yeah. That's a great story. Crazy, right? Yeah. Right. Hey, that's God way, is good, that's right? Hey, God, that's how it works, and, I guess. And ended 20 years later in the Braves Hall of Fame. That's that not crazy, right? Bad, huh? I know. Yeah. I know. There's something to be said for athleticism, right? Right, right, and intelligence. Because I was always a fast learner. So as I was yeah. gaining the knowledge from the coaches, one thing I say about the Braves – we definitely had the best coaches in the minor leagues. We had Leo Mazzoni was our pitching coach in A-ball. Clarence Jones was our hitting coach. I met Clarence Jones in A-ball, and honestly, I owe so much of my success to Clarence Jones. He, it was like the best hitting instructor for me was introduced to me. Uh, because, and the thing is, is what he told me, I've always been the kind of guy I could apply it that night. I don't, I don't need a week or two to apply it. Oh, do that? Okay, I'm going to do it right now. You see? And I just took off, and the rest was history, I, I guess. I mean, I, I had some ups and downs in the minors, but uh, I think always having a positive mentality, always having a positive attitude, and then also never really putting extra stress on myself to be a major leaguer because I didn't grow up. I never once in my life did I ever wake up and have a conversation with my mom where I said, you know, Mom, I wish I could be a professional baseball player. That never happened once. So as I was going through the minor leagues, I was working hard and I wanted to be good, but I always had in the back of my mind, if I don't make it, I only got one year left in school. I'll go back to being, go back to the, and get into the FBI because I was on, I wanted to be in the FBI. I wanted to be like Jody Foster in Silence of the Lambs. Like that is how, that was my vision of being the guy who, dealing with the serial killers and trying to catch, I know that's kind of morbid, but that was me. <laughs> so I always had that in my mind that if I don't make it in baseball, shoot, I'm good. I'm just going to go back and go do that. But I, but I made it. So 
you know, and then the rest was history, like I said. Yeah, I don't I don't know if there's ever a formula for anything. I mean, we see so many different guys who um, – I do see a lot of competitiveness, you know, some guys. I've never met anybody that was really good in the big leagues that, that wasn't super competitive, right, you know, right. that didn't have um, – I think had po- uh, somewhat of a positive outlook. I mean, I've I've known you for a long time. You've always been positive. You know, we always have our you know crazy moments where we get down. We have bad games or bad weeks, or we get injured, and that that kind of messes with us. But for the most part, so I'm not surprised to hear your story. I'm not surprised that you're doing well now because that that's the way I would expect. Just if somebody would describe. You know how you're doing now. I'd say, yeah, I, 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 that's that's DJ. I know that's what he's doing. But I, I'm just always excited to see guys who are doing well after their career. And and you know, and, and I know family is a huge thing, having um, just a healthy family and and doing things outside. But you're involved in your community too. Not only coaching, but you. I just saw something where you tweeted out you were involved with the charity event. I think you, yeah. you did have some hip problems. Are you yeah. doing okay now? Oh, yeah. Good? I feel man. You playing some golf? Great. I'm back playing golf. Okay. And, uh, yes. See, again, like I said, the one of the benefits of being uh, a, not only a, a professional athlete or ex-professional athlete, but also one who's still recognized around uh, the United States, I can say for sure, is we have that platform to be able to help other people now raise money, you see, for their yeah. organizations. So I play a lot of charity golf uh, in golf events, and I've, I've met some of the greatest people playing golf that I would have never met had I decided to play tennis when I retired. Seriously, Greg. And uh, so, yeah, whenever I have an opportunity that I can help uh, others with their, with their foundations and, and help raise money, for what's going on in the country where, where there's a lot of uh, need for help, um, I love to lend my time uh, to, to, to help out. Hey, I had to remember one thing. So we're on, a, um, we're on a plane on the tarmac, and we're getting ready to take off. And the plane, we, it starts, the cabin starts filling up with smoke. Oh, no. Okay. And so D, DJ and, and Dion used to sit in the, in the way back, right? And I, I was sitting in the middle. I'd play Scrabble with some of the guys. And all of a sudden, they say, they said, all right, we're going to have to we're gonna have to evacuate the plane. Everybody stay calm and walk towards exit. And all, next thing I know, Dion and DJ are flying up through the aisle. And he was like the first in knocking people out of the way. I'm getting off this plane. Well, you got to make time for this story. This is very important because I, I should be – they all should be thanking me every day for their lives because if it weren't for me, we would have had a tragedy on the Atlanta Braves that day. I'm sitting in the very back. There's smoke on the left side of the plane. Nobody on our team smokes. We don't have that kind of team. They're smoking. I'm looking at the smoke, and I turn to the, our flight, atten- uh, the, the, um, flight attendants who are, are like our family. It's the same ladies. I go, hey, there's smoke over there. She plays it like I'm just joking. I go, no, don't let this take off. There's smoke right there. So she calls the front. Now, mind you, let's, let's break the plane in thirds. I'm in the back third. The back third filled up with smoke. You couldn't see the front. Now, maybe where Mac was sitting, it was all clear. Was it clear? Could you see in I front did, of you? We didn't know you what remember? was going on. No, I didn't see anything yet. You, yeah, so, I was sitting. I didn't see anything yet. Was smoke, there was no smoke it's in front of you. Just a little bit. Not much. I could smell it. We couldn't see 
the front two-thirds of the plane. That's how dark it was back with us. Had that plane taken off, it would have filled up. There was no way we would have got back in before, okay? So you're welcome for being alive today, <laughs> yeah. all right? But, but look, but look, look. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now, now, now you go into, I got to save my life, right? I actually, it wasn't Dion. It was um, uh, Jose Oliva. He was a oh, rookie. Okay, he yeah. was a rookie. I was the second person off the second or third person off the plane, I think, in front of all the coaches, everybody too, <laughs> right? We sliding down. They put the thing down. We now we're working on our slide. That's the, first, the only time I've ever slid down the ramp, right? And but I I guarantee you, if I wasn't the third, I was in the first five guys, and I came from the very back part of the plane, like they said, like Max said, I came through everybody. I'm, I'm getting out. They wrote me. He was a flash. And, and they brought and they brought me up on kangaroo court for for being getting off the plane that early. You know what I told him? I'm guilty. Yeah. I, ain't, I ain't dying for none of you, mother. <laughs> I'm getting off this plane. Yeah, good. you remember that, Mac? That's I great. I do, but that was after the, the uh, stadium fire. So you had that. That is great I, you I'm remember that. I'm not surprised you knew where the exit was. On <laughs> I had to be. I remember it like it was just, I grabbed Oliva, who was a rookie, and said, come on, man, let's go. And we here. flew. And Because I remember breaking through the, the darkness, and then I could actually see. So I understand why they were calm, but if they were sitting <laughs> yeah. where we were, it was just you couldn't see the front of the plane, oh mm-hmm. and we didn't take off. Thank God. Yeah, we didn't. We, we were didn't about think. to. We were sitting we, there. We were literally about to taxi down to take off, oh, and I yeah. told her, "You better not let this plane take off." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you welcome, Mac. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, give me a Christmas card or something. Yeah. Every day. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, no, this was great. It, thanks this for having a good me. Good deal. Hey, opening day today. We're yep. gonna stay and watch the game together. Hang yep. out with some of our old teammates and uh and opening days uh exciting and yeah. i know we could spend another whole podcast talking about opening yeah, days but anyway sure. thanks for for joining us here in town and hopefully we'll do it again thank you thanks for having me guys really appreciate it david yeah. thank you Our thanks again to Braves Hall of Famer David Justice for joining uh, us here on Behind the Braves. That was quite, that was, man, that was fun. Uh, we've done, we're pushing 20 of these now, or close to 20 of these, and each one has been enjoyable and, and a lot of fun. Uh, you can, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to me, you can kind of tell early on, since we've done enough of the few of these now. I know they're always going to be good, but I'm just always kind of like uh, learning about who the, what type of personality the person's going to have and what kind of conversation you're going to have. And, Three minutes in with him, I'm sitting there going, oh, this is, this is going to be a good one. This is going to be good because he's got such a good personality and a great conversationalist. And worth noting again how intelligent he is and how quick he is um, and thoughtful he is in his his thought and his, his speech there. So a lot of fun with David Justice. And we didn't even really get into, you know, I had questions about the, the 95 World Series written down. And I didn't want to ask the same things that he's been asked a zillion times before, of course, but – you know his. I mean, I'm looking here. This you've got some of his stats and notable accomplishments there on his, uh, just on his bio. It's yeah, pretty, pretty impressive. <clears throat> you know, 1990 Rookie of the Year, three-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger. He was a World Series champ in '95, uh, World Series hero. He hit the home run. We mm-hmm. we beat the Indians in Game Six with a one-to-nothing score. He's the guy that hit the home run. Um, then he also won the World Series with the Yankees in 2000. And ultimately, he's been um, 
you know, was inducted into the Braves Hall of Fame. But David was one of those guys early on when we first ta- talked about doing this podcast. And as I was thinking about who we wanted to have on, David was obviously a guy that I had earmarked uh, as probably would be a great interview, would be a lot of fun for you to get to know. Um, but the problem is he lives in San Diego. So I was trying to figure out, I think we talked about maybe making a road trip with the team when they go on the West West Coast. But uh, fortunately, had David in town here doing something with SunTrust, so it worked out that he came in a day earlier and we were able to make it work today. So David is a lot of fun to talk to. He's been in a lot of the, the things that we've done. I don't know, we just did a kind of a series uh, maybe two years ago where uh, it was kind of chronicling the 14 straight division championships of the Braves. Mm-hmm. And then we had stuff on about Chipper as Chipper was going to the Hall of Fame. David's always one of the first guys they call me about, hey, can we get David on because he's a great person to have, um, you know, for the segment. So I think he was in some of those. And uh, I was called uh, Atlanta Braves Team of the 90s. They did it on mm-hmm. – uh, it wasn't 30 for 30, but it was – MLB like Network. MLB Network, mm-hmm. yeah. So David was a big part of that. So he's always a guy that you – you. Um, you always want to get on that show because he's just uh, he's just very dynamic and a lot of personality. Yeah, I uh, I I'm not opposed to uh, us having him on again and making that road trip to San Diego. That that doesn't uh, <laughs> if anybody's listening in the building. Yeah, uh, Greg McMichael and I will selflessly volunteer ourselves to go to San Diego to record another one with. Uh, well, <laughs> and he's got two houses, so I think he's got some room. There we'll you go. We need to. Yeah. He's yeah. got a guest room. He's got a couple guests rooms. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> I think it was one of the cool little notes about him being the Braves Hall of Fame is that he was the first guy out of those great 90s teams to, you know, because, you know, Smoltz and Glavin, some of those guys were still playing, you know. Um, Shepard, of course, was still playing at the time. So when, when David retired, you know, that kind of – he became the first one of those great 90s teams players to get inducted into the Braves Hall of Fame, which I always just – to me, it's kind of a cool little note because he was, again, as somebody who grew up as a kid, as a fan of those teams, he was such a notable and integral part part of those teams that I, I thought it was kind of fitting that, you know, he was there. He was one of that one of that core group of, of the position players, anyways, that came up through the minors, as, as you heard him talk about here on Behind the Braves, that helped turn this franchise's uh, fortunes and just everything around, so... I, I always kind of enjoyed that little tidbit about that he was kind of the first one, that it worked out for him to be the first one from those those great 90s teams to go in the, in the, the Team Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's got a great story, that the story that he told us about him, how he went to college on a basketball scholarship, wasn't thinking about baseball, and and chose to get involved with the baseball team because he didn't want to w- run. That's amazing, wasn't it? Well, that was just <laughs> – that is just a great story. such that's a him. great story. That sounds like him, you know, yeah. and – but he, he shows you what a great athlete yeah, he was great too. Athlete and so it's fun getting to know. That's a story that I didn't even know. So yeah. I, you know, I just I'd, I'd heard some of it, but nothing to that extent. So that that was exciting for me to hear that. But uh, we we really enjoyed having David on. Glad to have him here in town, being part of opening day. We didn't get that. One of the things I wanted to ask him was maybe what was a, a memorable opening day for him. Mm. You know, and the thing about with us <clears throat> with the Braves, that we never started out the gate like the was it the 82 team that went 14 in a row mm-hmm. was that 82 i think i think it was 82 82 they went 14 in a row we never did that i mean we always started out slow because let's face it this is a marathon the season is a marathon and you're going to have injuries you're going to have it's not how you start right it's how you finish right they don't play the world series in april last year we got off to a hot start 
right? And we were able to sustain it, but we weren't as hot at the end as we were at the beginning. So I would rather us start slow, figure it out, you know, get our feet underneath us and, um, and finish strong because that's really when you're running a marathon, it's, you know, it's the kick at the end, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to outrun everybody at the beginning. So I'm not worried about what's going on right now with our team because it is April and none of our great teams that we've had in the past started out, out the gate, just, you know, like, um, uh, like we were winning the world series. So that, I think that's the mindset as a ball player, these guys, we've got a good solid veteran team with some, you know, good young players sprinkled in. I know that that's the way they're thinking. So I'm not worried about what's going on with us right now after our first series, but uh, I'm looking forward to just getting home, getting a couple wins under our belt, and um, and getting the right mindset. Yeah, and it was it was cool to hear David talk about, you know, the kind of guys you need in the locker, in the clubhouse to kind of lead things. And these are those times where those guys kind of have to step up when it's to, to, just to – Provide a little perspective on things like you just did there for for me and the listeners, and, and providing just you know a just calm down. You know, it's yeah. just one series. It's April first as we're sitting here, April third when this episode comes out, I believe. So, you know, you just got to have a little perspective on well, things, and we'll let it play out. And who knows how it plays out? But it's it's true. so early. It's a marathon, and we are just at the very beginning of it. So let's 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 just sit back and see what happens. What's funny now is you had to wait for the game to hear what the fans had to say, right? Because you'd walk out on the field and they'd either boo you or cheer you or whatever. Now you can hear it all day long because if you want to listen to Twitter, Twitter and some of the social media accounts, I mean, you know what everybody's thinking all the time. Sure. So that's good and bad. Um, but, you know, as a ball player, you have to kind of put that out of your mind because you can't do your job successfully and you can't sustain, you know, sustain it if you're always listening what everybody else is saying about you so you you know some part of that you have to put some blinders on and go do your job and and do your best so clearly that's what we hope this team does we know they've got the talent we know that they've got the right leadership we just want them to put the head down go to work start winning some ball games and and playing like that we know they can i gotta tell you we had we had lunch with david after after that interview and i was listening to him talk about coaching and how he coaches his kids and other kids and his his mindset on that and how you're how to what your mental state should be as an athlete and everything and i gotta tell you i was fired up and ready to run through a wall (laughs) just having lunch with him so you know it it was good to have him here on the behind the braves and uh, it also helped me just hearing, just talking with him during and then after the interview, and then of course, you know the things you're saying here. It, it's all good perspective as we start a new season, and we'll see what happens. But uh, it's going to be fun. I think we're going to have some fun. Still, still, still a team that won the division last year, and um, looking forward to seeing what they can do this year. So, for Greg McMichael, uh, our thanks to David Justice for joining us on Behind the Braves, and our thanks to you for listening. Continue to rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 